Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This discussion starts from Emily Friedman's DevOps Days Ukraine presentation about rethinking software development lifecycle or SDLC and how she describes looking at it as a multidimensional cross-functional discipline that actually accounts for uh, six different vectors of ill-at-ease uh, capabilities uh, that need to be factored in. So a, a much more resilient and robust uh, look at the SDLC and the YouTube uh, of her giving that presentation is in the notes and I suggest you watch that. It'll, it'll help explain some of what we're doing uh, in the in the discussion, but it is not required. We have people who didn't watch it uh, in the in the presentation, uh, active part of the discussion. But what we found was that that model um, does not cover all of the things that we've been discussing as as important things to consider in building, deploying, and making software resilient and reliable, most specifically software bill of materials or SBOMs. Um, but we covered a lot of ground in taking uh, a short presentation uh, by Emily into a much uh, deeper discussion about some of the implications and ramifications of, of what she presented. I know you'll enjoy the conversation. for the day is uh, software bill materials um, and I would love to have Klaus here um, I don't see him yet um, so we'll we'll see uh, but we and I'm happy to talk about that too but I on the back on the open source uh, piece I I think you know Spinnakers any of these projects where there you and Prometheus in, in the, to an extent similar story these are internal projects that got open sourced and usually one or two people were willing to step out and turn it into enough of a product or a shared model that they, that it could work. Um, even like React and Angular, um, from their starting points, um, took, took a fair bit of grooming to, to get into a place where, where the the project could could establish a critical mass. It's, yes. Well, the, a, I mean, the, I th there's got to be books about this. <laughs> oh, but probably not. I'm thinking about like what Stormy. <laughs> this is like something Stormy does um, to to help companies do it, but it's it's actually expensive, right? And that's why uh, the. The all the software at Netflix is open source, but it was purpose built for Netflix. Right. And Netflix had no reason to expend any more time or money to do anything for the rest of the community. It's just like you can use it. We don't care. Go for it. But <laughs> don't ask us to. Uh, manage it. <laughs> well, Which... that's so. So here's here's the thing that's an interesting question to me, because if Netflix Netflix open sources Spinnaker, great, just so that you know, because it's not valuable to them, they can show it. 
Well, but no, they're not all they're not. of Netflix software is open. Is all source. of it? Okay. All of it. You could go back yeah, ten years ago, you could go to their open uh huh. Netflix slash open and there would be uh 20 different products uh, projects out there that their um their uh devops use to manage the site and you can go out there now spinnaker's just one of them all the rest of them are open too it's just that the rest of them haven't been adopted by a community and uh, so when Spinnaker actually took off as something of interest to someone outside of Netflix or some a company that wanted to actually uh, turn it to its purpose, that's when things got weird for Netflix because they didn't know what to do. They didn't want to put any they didn't want to put any company expenses into it because literally their model is, all of our stuff is open. Anybody can use it who wants to, period, the end. But we're just going off and doing our thing. Well, but but then you get back into, and this is one of the challenges with any of the open source operations work to me, um, is any changes people make to a, a system like this, it, it's going to, you know, if you take, if, if the owners upstream it if they're using it in production then they're going to get patches that aren't necessary for their system and actually expose them to risk if exactly they the match and that's where all the tension was when suddenly it became popular beyond netflix right uh because they didn't want to put any uh take brando's patches and put them in their system <laughs> And they didn't want to take right. the time or energy away from their people to even review those patches. Right. Yes. And that's that's right. So it's like, and eventually it got solved where they did put in the resources. But you know, what's the right move for something like this? Where literally, it's like. Software is free. That was their attitude. We paid to have it developed. Everyone can use it. If they need changes, they can make those changes. Just don't bug us. Ah, I mean, this to me is where you end up. And, and I, I think there's a formula here that's very people dependent. If you have an architect of on those teams that had the vision to create the tool, they created version one, got used. <laughs> it was going, maybe even version two for a lot of time. But they they hit an inflection point where you know they know enough to want to write version three. And this is certainly our story with the digital rebar stuff. They know enough to write version three. That person wants to carry the torch forward on the, the project. The company doesn't really have an, a, a reason to invest in it. From that perspective right because it's just disruptive operationally for probably stuff that would benefit a community of users not necessarily the company who's using it the the, the owning company does that make this does my does my path make sense i could make it more specific and that might help tell the story but i, I think it's a real open source journey and, and uh, go ahead uh yeah uh but 
it's so in lots of ways it's like if you had kept your all of your repositories open mm-hmm. for people to see read only read copy right uh what would your what would it your life be like if somebody decided for instance a Mirantis that wanted to use it as a consultant essentially do what you're doing yeah. <laughs> uh and uh they couldn't actually put it into the official repository because you controlled it that was i so i i one of the things for our history that I've given a lot of thought to is that our goal was that the automation would be something that people could review and update and patch that it was, there was high utility for the automation to have that relationship, um, which from an open core model, we'd actually done the opposite. We we'd had to hide all the automation and we're trying to sell the automation, not the platform. Um, but it, all of it takes, you know, has, um, that's sorry, my that's Uh-oh. my husband's phone. <laughs> oh no, worries. I didn't. I didn't hear it. Zoom, uh, okay. Zoom it out. Um, but the right. I mean, th- this is this is the thing. If you're gonna for something to be a good shared resource, right, uh, open source or otherwise, you have to have. It's funny. I was literally just talking to Andrew Clay Schaefer on the floor here about this. You you have to have. Um, a multi-party motion of reducing troil, toil um, from that perspective. Like, like it, if you're building something just for you and you open source it, that's, that's, it's, uh, the code's open, but it's not really a, a project. It's not a, there's no community. It's just right. you. If, if you open source it, and then don't accept patches or allow people to tune it for their environment, then you're still not building a community. You're not reducing toil. You're just providing a reference example. For for it to work in the ways that we're talking about, you have to be thinking about the thinking about it as a platform. Now we're bringing up. I'm invoking platforms and platform engineering, but you have to think of it as a platform, and then um, allow you know, start targeting the platform for a more, a broader use case system. That, and that, that, that transition is, you know, it's a, it's a different thinking process than what Netflix was doing when they were open sourcing things. Yes. It is, right. At that point, what you're, what you're doing is, um, it, you know, you're, you're looking for, for that like oh this works for multiple people and for a company to do that on on its own is um unless they see some benefit this is what made openstack so weird in some ways right Rackspace tried to bootstrap did bootstrap that process because they felt like they would get more eyeballs looking at the code um than than right that that would that that would create um a developer lift which is actually not not necessarily not necessarily the right reason to do it. Um. Yep, I uh, put a link into uh, Netflix's GitHub uh, homepage, and uh, you can see all the tools. We forgot about uh, 
Chaos Monkey, Simeon Army, and now they have security. Oh, monkey. that's true. Yeah. They they really broke ground in so many places. Mm-hmm. And you look at what's listed in their uh and what they have, and there's just so much more fertile ground. I mean, content encoding. Automated, scalable, multimedia ingest and encoding. It's just like, whoa, oh yeah. I'm sure there are companies out there that are just sucked it in and are using it as is because it's just. Yeah, I, I'm, Netflix really, really, really led the industry here in so many ways that they 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 don't. Their, their projects are have gotten bigger than they are, but they really, really did a good job. And this was for them a recruiting tool. Yes. Uh, and they pretty much managed to and still manage to maintain themselves as an engineering company run by engineers, managed by engineers. Mm-hmm. Unlike Google, which is now run and managed by HR. <laughs> I would say that they're being run by their ads department. Well, their ads HR department. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally, it's it's so twisted. I I, I think there's a, the simpler answer is to be actually being run by an AI. <laughs> it's just not a very well trained AI at the moment. <laughs> so they're dog footing their uh, what, foreign AI. What, what, what would a CEO do at ChatGPT? What would I, a good CEO do in this case? And then just follow whatever that is. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, maybe actually they're probably using Bard for it. That uh, explains even more. Ah, dear. <laughs> So, so Facebook is a company that looks like it's being run by a robot. It is. <laughs> and Google is the company that's actually being run by a robot. I mean, what else are you going to call Zuck? <laughs> oh, uh, that was classic. That was probably low class, but... Uh... Uh, what's a low hanging? I, mean, I I have that visual of him. Uh, somebody did the 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 Zuck robot in, from his congressional testimony. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Oh my goodness. So do do we want to talk about on that note? Do we want to talk about software bill materials? Yes. I'm 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 curious. I mean, I'm happy to keep going on the open source and the the, the project history. Piece, but the, I, I'm actually really curious about you know what it would take to build a real bill of materials out of software. Is this something that we're just there's products that are going to do it, or do we need? You know, I I haven't I, I I see it's necessary, but I haven't seen it um, concretely done. Is the way I would describe it. But there so- are products for it. Go ahead, Rob. If if you look at what, and this is something that Rob wasn't aware of, and a lot of folks aren't aware of as yet, uh, but Open Source Institute 
has got um, uh, Microsoft donating a license discovery management tool to it. Okay. And essentially, you need full bill of materials to make that work. Um, my question, uh, so you can find a license for every every bit of software that you're using. So you need to have a bill of materials that has a license attached to everything. Um, the There are lots of things that don't have licenses attached to them as yet, or at least not directly. And that would probably change with this tool being out there, but it's not the only tool out there doing that. I got the name of another one from someone who's in the um, uh, self-driving uh, area and in automotive and uh, IOT uh, automotive it there there are also tools out there that are open source but here's my issue with bill of materials okay. unless it also includes the tools that are used to build it you got a problem that's and this perfect. was something that we we were fighting back in the old release days, and I'm sure Klaus has uh, dealt with it too. It's like you need to know what built it because if if you don't have tools that actually put the whole thing together in the order that it came out, then uh, then you can't reproduce it. Mm, yeah. So so the. That's two different things. So software bill of materials is essentially being able to to say well what um, uh, what the uh, where the software comes from and and, right. and, and what the versions are. Uh, what what you're talking about, Rocky, is more about again reproducible builds, which is right, uh, which take software bill of material and, and and so it's not just the bill of material it's also like you take the source code and and you ensure that the the, the binaries produced from it are the same ones as uh, produced by um or the ones that are published so uh, on that regard I, I would say that the, the Debian project is the the pack layer on that because they like they, they've got like 90 99 or sorry 90 something percent of their packages reproducible and, and they spend a lot of effort towards that. Um, so, software bill of material is really more about pedigree than, than the actual reproducible. Yeah, it's, it's a necessary requirement for reproducibility, but it's not uh, reproducibility is a, a superset. Yeah. But I mean, and so the right, the right. old model of, and here the the old model that we were using in OpenStack, and a lot of folks still using, uh, especially in the Python world, where you go out and get packages off the internet, don't work if uh, because you need to have specific the specific version 
including specific patches that have been applied to the version, have to be part of the bill of materials. So you can't just go and grab things out of pit. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I, so, I mean, there's clearly, and I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm looking at, like you said, there's open source stuff. There's something called FOSSA, FOSSA, that is, has a format for this. So, right, it's, it shouldn't be that hard for us to have, and it's not hard because people are doing it for years, a standardized schema for a bill of materials, software bill of materials to be produced in an automated way by a build. Which we do, like, I mean, like, at, at least in terms of industry standard, there's Cyclone DX. Right, that's another one I saw, okay. And, uh, and yeah, and the interesting part is that for the past year, or, or, or really ever since um, SolarWinds, uh, there's been uh, an explosion in, in, in ecosystem growth uh, around us. So it's it's the tools have been around for for a while, or, or at least the the standards and, and, and the idea of a bill of material has been around for yeah. a while. It's just that again, recently it, it's it's come to the forefront, and what what we're seeing is uh, a lot tighter integration, so that you can generate your software bill of material easily. You can publish it easily. And you can yeah. verify it easily. Yeah, the, oh. you know, the, the package that someone that a uh, friend mentioned was SPDX. That's the format. So unfortunately, there are two formats, at least two formats that are uh, jockeying for uh, position in terms of the leader in the, the, the clubhouse. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is not not unusual in in the context of uh, continuous integration. Like we we see the same with, for example, unit tests. Like yes, well, everyone knows GUnit, but it's not the only standard around for that. So, um, but yeah, uh, like going back to Rob, what you mentioned, FASA, like. This is one of the the results of, of like trying to provide provide a an end to end holistic uh, solution around this. Because ideally, to me, you'd pull in you you know the the, the software bills and materials should chain together. Is the way I right? Yeah, yeah, and. This also feeds back into day two operations, where, for example, like if you're a security team on on, on working on 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 compliance, like you you can say, like the, what the software bill of material then allows you to do is, a you have better understanding as to the workloads that you're putting into into your controlled environments, but b Whenever there is, for example, a published CVE, it lets you make a much better, much more informed decision to say, this CVE does not affect us directly because we don't use this feature. The, like, 
the the, the affected library is just a side effect of the of the build process, and we can ignore it. Or or vice versa, say like, yeah, th this particular CV does affect us because we're using package X, Y, or Z. Fundamental question. Does it assume that you're developing software in-house? Uh, no, it shouldn't. That, I'm, I'm searching, I'm trying to connect the dots of how as a consumer of somebody else's software, okay. I do the validation verification and what value does it provide to me? I mean, we we got a request from one of our customers who did a uses R, and we're not. Uh, we should be using one of these formats, but um, they came back and said, "Hey, we noticed that a Go library that you're using no longer meets our FedRAMP requirements," and um, right, and so that they you know they they found that out through their analysis and monitoring. Um, yep. Happily for us, we caught we our our scanning tools had also caught it. We fixed the build, so it was an easy, easy like, hey, yeah, that 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 that's out of date. We already got it for you, <laughs> but but, yeah. but that is but that's exactly what you know. It's it's a reasonable thing for them to be analyzing our our bill of materials for our software. But interestingly, I mean that could could and should include um, <laughs> on build components so realistically like we use um gitlab and so it would make a ton of sense for us to include gitlab as the build infrastructure and the sbom for gitlab uh, the sas the sas sbom for gitlab um and maybe i should ask that as a question but Right. How how deep do we go? I I think that that, that is uh, essentially the, the distinction between SBOM and reproducible builds. Yeah. Like it. It and, and that ultimately comes down to the the purpose that or for which you're using this. If if your purpose is to Again, validate the pedigree of the third-party software that include that you're including in your environment. Right. You you don't need to have reproducibility because like you don't care about building the same containers yourself. You you only care that you know what's in the containers that you're giving, or you know what's what libraries are compiled into the binary that you're giving. Yeah, right, right. You would say, look, I don't want the, the I don't want you to recreate this version. It has vulnerabilities. I want you to create a new version and show me that you didn't include the vulnerable pieces. Yeah. Um, and, and and it's a matter also of, of trust delegation. Like it, like you you define your trust boundary as opposed to saying, I blindly trust this binary given by given to me by Rob. You say, Well, I, I take this binary. Uh, and I trust the SBOM, uh, but only as far as as I can tell that again, like the the binary 
you, you need something to match the binary to your as well, mm-hmm. which at which point probably the salsa framework comes into place. But, I mean, this, but <laughs> this, is, this is we see this over and over and over again in in all sorts of goods, not just software, where the suppliers of the systems that you're dealing with do matter, right? I'm I'm thinking specifically about the the industry wide um, lithium battery problems with laptops where right we had laptops catching on fire because of defects in lithium batteries and it turns out that the supplier that there was one supplier for all those laptops and they had quality issues and so it suddenly became very relevant you know where those batteries were coming from or or the the other thing about like 15 20 years ago with the with the issue with the capacitors yes where 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 manufacturers were were being given knockoff capacitors uh, and yeah, and, and ultimately that 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 is the same problem just applied to a digital world. Like you you, you want to to have uh, some knowledge about your, your supply chain. Like right. you, you you don't want to go and uh, and get the the individual components from the suppliers themselves and and, and build them and build them because that's not that's your job. Not your need. Uh, but you you want. You, you want, but, your... but you don't. You don't get a pass anymore. Not worrying about the, the, the composition of of your right. There should be a way to say yeah. these are the these are the components, and yeah, if there's an issue, right? You, you, you want you want your vendor to at least give you a guarantee. On on the, there's an implicit, um, there's an implicit meaning to that also that if the the vendor breaks a guarantee, for example, if they give you a a a a build that where they give you one s bomb but the build is actually different from that and it's found out well that that affects their reputation it possibly affects their sla um and there's likely uh monetary um consequences to that um i mean that that is contractual and it's out of the scope of the the actual s bomb implementation itself but but really that that's what you are working towards and, and it's and also like if you if you go real world like outside of the 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 technology um ecosystem like uh it's not much different from from asking your coffee supplier if, if their beans are ethically su- uh, sourced hmm, that's right And then provide, and then providing the the, the path. I mean, these are, I, all right, so. But from all that, do we need to have? I mean, a, a format like the fact that we're producing this information, but not complying with a Cyclone DX or a, um, you know, uh, format. Maybe we are. <laughs> it's going to be the, the downstream tools. So at my, I brought up the even the, the vendor side of if I'm a, a, a customer, how am I doing that verification and validation of your S bomb? Mm. Like uh, as a vendor, you it is in your best interest to provide an S bomb in a format that is popular, or 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 maybe even in, in more than one format if your tool channel supports it. Uh, as a client, you you really you only care that the, the S bomb pro- produced by your vendor is readable by your tools. And, and if the, if it's not, then you either change your vendor or you change your tools. 
It's actually surprising to me that I haven't seen requests to provide it in, um, the for, in a format for, for us. Or maybe maybe it's maybe it's coming, and I, sh I should watch out for it. It we've might be coming. We've been producing I, I think, it forever. I think people are still trying to figure out what it's for. Like, great, I have this information. So now, what? Am I going to try and force the vendor to change or make an update? Um, oftentimes, people bring up the the idea of, well, I'm just going to change vendor, but simply that is unlikely to happen in many cases. And so where I'm where my head is at is trying to wrap my head around. I love the idea from a provenance and understanding what's going on perspective, but where's the actual real world application of it in a, a number of cases? Certainly some are going to say to take what would be deemed as the appropriate steps, but like the challenge we have now with patching systems, like it's very hard and nuanced. So yeah. The there are a couple of issues uh for before end users start demanding it other than savvy end users. One is that there needs every piece of software that's included in the SBOM, which should be every piece of software, needs a way to be queried for its version uh as it is in binary state. So that needs to be standardized. I mean, we've got strings and stuff like that that's been used forever, but you know, is it in every library? Is it in every component? Stuff like that. The the second thing is is they need to have a a reason to use it, and the biggest reason would be for security as the government pushes out um, the uh, security safety measures for software. And so audits would be required that would list all these things to see if you're up to date and you have your CVE patched. And at that point, that's where end users would start demanding things. And that's where, and so end users will be starting to ask slash demand for SBOM in a uh, format that they can use to that their auditors can use to validate that they've patched their systems. Yeah, and, and along those lines, um, this also goes in hand with um, the recent news that um, I mean it. It's not enforced, but I mean the the U.S. federal government has strongly hinted that vendors should be responsible. For um, for security incidents caused uh, by their software uh, in client systems, so um, if you can prove through SBOM that it wasn't a vulnerability in in your system, but it was a misconfiguration by the client. As a vendor, that also indemnifies you. Conversely, as a consumer, um, you can collect the S bombs of your of the systems that you use. And if it turns out that a, a zero day 
uh, affected your system. Well, you, you can prove that that you were up to date with your patches and that the yes. root cause of the incident was upstream. Yeah. <laughs> so insurance. Basically, you're saying that it, that insurance is going to force this. <laughs> oh yeah. That's very likely. Uh, yes. Yeah. And you know, again, from Klaus's side, is that uh, if the vendor can demonstrate that the patch wasn't applied in a timely manner, and that's what caught them, then the vendor is off the hook. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and. I mean, to us, to to a degree, in and in, in controlled environments like Fedram that that you mentioned earlier, like this is already the case. Like you need to be able to to prove that that any artifacts that you bring into the Fedram boundary are free of major CVEs. Um, and yeah, your your scanning tools can 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 scan the the libraries that are in containers, but the S bomb. Let you take it further and, and say the binaries, the, the vendor binaries that are not the libraries, uh, include have these dependencies, which are also CVE free. So it 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 strengthens your posture in terms of guaranteeing that uh, the third party software that you're bringing into the into the boundary that you use inside the boundary uh, is vulnerability free. Right. And that that makes a ton of sense to me. Like I could see a system where we would you'd scan a machine looking for binary signatures, use the binary signatures against a registry. To, is there a is there a need for a registry here, where where I should be posting an S bomb for my product, that then cross links to S bombs for other products that then somebody can go look up in the registry? Is this something a an entity should be like providing? I, 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 I don't think you you would even need to scan the uh, scan the binaries. You would just need to include your SBOM along with you with your artifact. Oh, that's and, interesting. And say, okay, this artifact matches this bill of material. Like you you don't actually you don't actually scan the, the contents of the artifact. You 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 just at that point you delegate trust. You say like but I trust this SBOM to 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 be accurate in terms of the contents of this binary. I, it it strikes me though that that having a like if I was building an S bomb, I might provide the S bomb with my binary, but that S bomb would ideally would link um, a whole bunch of um, like just like we have CVE IDs, like every product ideally would have a registered S bomb entry, and then every time you generate a release, you would post your S bomb. So then I could just say, here is the, you know, an, aden an identifier back. You don't have to, because right. If, if, if I give you an S bomb and it has a whole bunch of links to other stuff, basically it's going to say, this is the, I, I link this product, this version of this product from this source. And that's actually, you're, that's probably enough. You're right. I don't need a, I don't need a universal identifier for that. Yeah. Your own company house. Yeah. Yeah. You just have your own company's registry for every version that might be out there. All right, for every version that you use, or or like, or if you publish it, yes, for every version. Yeah, it's it's interesting because right. real realistically, GitLab, GitHub, whatever should be hosting these 
as part of this. Like they're 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 literally the site that's authoritative. All this information is for us is available there. I'm using us as, as right. my, my best known reference example, but I don't think this is unique. Um, I mean, it, it, it's not a full S-bomb, but, but GitLab does publish uh, like in total uh, digests uh, with their builds. So so you are already getting partially there. Like, uh, like you, you are already meeting salsa level two, like in terms that you have like assigned provenance for, right. uh, for your artifacts. Um, the S bomb takes it further, and that uh, you not only have to sign provenance, but again, you, you also have uh, uh, you enumerate your dependencies. Well, that's I mean that we already have. I mean, we're, we're go. So we're and most languages have this, right? You have a, a dependencies file. You know exactly what's in there. It's not hard to. It wouldn't be hard to manage from that yep. perspective. Um, yep. And which is why I, I like SBOM adoption is not that far far fetched because like yeah Go uh, Node also uh, Re- yeah a lot. yeah I was gonna uh, say our React our React inputs are are very well defined Python yeah. dependencies are well defined um, uh, kind of with, with Python like with, with Python <laughs> you, you you can have undefined dependencies but but you can also uh, lock those down so. It'd be interesting. This is to me like because there's a whole bunch of um, uh, what's the the everybody's gaga on the Linux distro that has the um, is basically a software is S bomb input. Um, NixOS. Uh, XOS, yeah. Um, Nix. Nix, yeah. yeah. I in some ways that's right. Nix is basically saying I want a Linux that has a is built from an S bomb. Yeah, and, and so which is which is why the time is ripe for this. Like that, that there's been interest in, in this. It, it's like we, we'll we'll see a, a bit of turmoil over the next couple of years as, as things settle down. But yeah. um, it it is a paradigm shift. But and and we do it now because the information is available now. Like from five ten years ago, uh, things were not ripe for it. Yeah, um, uh, I remember when we did this the first time, and we were manually compiling lists of dependencies and license checks and stuff like that. It would be yeah. actually really nice to be able to do that. And then you're protected against somebody swapping a license on you, um, uh, stuff like that. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, and and going back to Demartes's question as to who would who would use this. Um, since you mentioned licenses, okay. yeah, the, the license and legal departments would love this mm-hmm. uh, because uh, again, you you can you can audit your um, your licenses much better with an S one because you you not only have the list of dependencies that you said you would use or that you planned to use, but also the, the like it's the dependencies that you're actually using. So you you can choose to deprecate some some enumerations later to say like okay like I, I thought I was gonna use this library but that I don't use it anymore so right. I I don't need to do a license check against it anymore um, and conversely like in in an ideal case scenario in any every library that you that you're pulling in um, like you've already 
gone through approval, at least in a controlled environment. But at the very least, just let you double check that. I, the thing that would be cool to me is if we start standardizing how to look up SBOMs is why I still go back to the, the desire to have a registry or something, because then you would be able to come back and say, here's my build, and then automatically pull in your that you know the s bomb on that dependency graph um uh, well on, on that regard like yeah. google has already has been working towards that so the i posted a link here in chat uh, but they have their assured open source program where they essentially will be would be providing s bombs and verifying them for registered open source software And then, and then you can take advantage of those listings to say, like, okay, I'm th this this dependency, this S bomb has been certified by a third party. I can trust it better now than the one that is provided directly by the vendor. I mean, Black. It's funny because Black Duck was doing this ten years ago, <laughs> and they were building that. They had a repository like that, but. But they took that down. Yeah, I I remember that, that vendor. I, I like companies that I've worked with used them. Yeah. Um, oh, the, I mean, it was showing up in in when we were in the OpenStack days, um, early OpenStack days, I should say. Uh, the we would you know that the the velocity graphs on those projects were were life and death for for. Yeah. And analyzing a project, a dependency, seeing how you know if you were healthy from that perspective, um, yeah. you know, it was the better than star, <laughs> better than GitHub stars. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there was a matter of cost, there was a matter of ubiquity, mm, um, yeah. which made it difficult again. Which is why I said, like five years ago, I, 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 I wouldn't think that this would have been practical, but we are at an inflection point where we, we're publishing so much metadata about um, our other builds that we can now start sifting through it and and, and, and aggregating it and, and making sense of it. Yeah. So, and, and that kind of brings us into a, a Thursday conversation again about metadata. But, mm -hmm. you know. Which I think I have to look at what the schedule is. I think I know we're going back to metadata at some point, I think soon. Let's see. Thursday. Well, we're about to the top of the hour, so it's probably a good place to <laughs> the Thursday conversation anyway. Uh, let's see. The 23rd data mesh. Now, we're, we're, before we do metadata, we decided we need to talk about why data mesh made everybody so mad. <laughs> and then we go back to metadata. <laughs> uh, but I... It, it's frustrating to me, if, right? It feels like this should be done. We should we should be doing this, and people should be asking. Like I I don't I don't necessarily think you know any any vendor is going to pick up the charge and 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 you know I, I'm not uh, you know I should do this, but I I I'm not going to put a lot of engineering into it. I don't think it would take much, but any engineering into it until I have a customer saying, I need you to give me an SBOM in this format or post it here so I can reuse it. And then we'll do it. It won't be a big deal. Um, it, I, 
it makes I, I don't understand why our customers aren't asking for it. And that's what confuses me. I would bring it back to the to do what with it. Because I'm expecting you to patch systems. And let's say I, I get the S-bomb. I see there's a high level CPE or vulnerability or whatever it might be. Uh-huh. My ask to you is going to be fix this. You're going to put in a fix. And my response back might be, well, I can't take that patch right now. I, but, but we already have customers who we, we've been producing an S-bomb, an unformatted S-bomb, but an S-bomb for actually sorry it's not jason <laughs> formatted uh, and for 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 10 years and and all of our enterprise customers consume that file and care about it and it is a contractual obligation that we have with with most of our customers right that's why we do it that's why we did it the first time mm-hmm. none of them have come back and asked us to give it in a standardized format so they're consuming it. I know they consume it because they will they will call us up if something's wrong. But they haven't cared that it's formatted incorrectly. And that confuses me. Well, I I think it, it's it's a matter of, of them saying, like, well, we, we, we can read JSON, so this is good enough. Mm-hmm. Um things might change over the next over the next year. Um, depending on how the Federal Provision Five documents go, because the, those are pretty much due to be published at, at end of month, um, and they may have some um, more strict requirements in terms of um, yeah the bill of materials. I mean, at, at at which point, like, since you, since you already have the information, you, you will just need to format it appropriately. Yeah, I wish I I wish I understood where the what what the driver would be because this to me is only been there's there's I don't see any downside to this. I mean, yeah, it again, it it depends on on what incentive is for uh, for for the user, uh, as Marta said, like it. If the incentive for for having an, for getting an S one is just that you're required to have it, then you're not going to do much with it. That's... But if your incentive then then suddenly shifts to you need to ensure that um, you also uh, have remediation within thirty days um, for your client for for the software that's packaged alongside right. then you need to pay attention to the s1 and then you you will likely see um see a, a lot more frequent feedback from 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 your customers saying like hey we like this cvd just got published when can we expect a, a a new version to to be published um so uh and again like it it takes effort to to verify an s1 so Mm-hmm. I I would expect a, a lot of consumers of S bombs to to not do much with it unless they're required to. And if they don't have one, they can't do anything with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, there's definitely an element of what I don't know. What I don't know can't hurt me. No, what I don't know can't. I can't be sued for. Yeah. 
I know I, I personally have been starting to ask for a little bit of SBOMs from vendors that I interact with. And as a result, I I tend to have a better view on, on vendors that already produce them because it means to me that they take their their build process more seriously. Um, I, I mean, it it doesn't necessarily give them a, a, a like a leg up versus other vendors, but it it, it at least signify uh, in, indicates to me or signals to me that uh, they have uh, a certain level of maturity. Yes, they've thought about it. They understand that uh, they need controls and that they should be able to publish. Uh, artifacts that demonstrate some of the controls. Yeah, and they plan. I, I, I like. I like. I'm, I'm starting to think through if this, if the, if getting this done becomes like a summer intern project or something. Because to me, it's like we can produce them, but you can go deeper, and then we can start. We could be certifying that systems have them, or produce them, or hardware bill of materials and produce them. Right. Um, yeah. What, I, what I'm missing is the dashboard, and that's what I need to, I think I need to look at some of these products like the Cyclone and see, because I think they, they don't just have the, the docs, there's actually dashboards. I mean, it's, it's Cyclone DX is, is, is the standard, so, so you, mm -hmm. you, you're going to be wanting to look at pro products that consume it. Um, but yeah. and, and it looks like they actually have, um, they they collect... They actually collect them to me. Work, participate, yeah. You know, governance, standard process, standardization process. That's cool. Once again, not new stuff. It just this is one of those we talk about it all the time, and it it feels like it's moving slowly. It it's a formalization of something that's been happening in the industry for a while. Yep. Now we have a name for it. Cool. I love I love these when I learn <laughs> when I learn it I even better when I'm like, let's get this done. Should be impatient. All right. This is cool. Thank you. I certainly came over with a lot of interesting thoughts. So oh, good. Talk to you all on Thursday. Bye. Take care. Right. Cheers. Wow, it's really fascinating how we can take a relatively short part of a presentation and start pulling back the covers on the ramifications and implications of what is going on in becoming proficient at something like next generation software development process and controls. Um, I hope this got you thinking and excited. Um, as always, these conversations are open uh, their discussion format, and we would love to have you come in and join us. Uh, visit, uh, check out the agenda at the 2030.cloud. Uh, come in, ask your questions, be part of the conversation, or just lurk in the background. Um, that is perfectly fine, too. We love having you be part of these conversations, even if it's just listening to the podcast uh, and uh, being part of it that way, too. Thanks, and I will see you there. 
Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.